Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Ask Marco, where I answer your investing-related questions. Today's question is a cool one, and it comes from Clint, and he asks the basic question of how much cash should I keep in reserve for my rental properties? This is a good question. It hasn't come up in a long time, interestingly enough. Maybe I've talked about it on previous episodes, and in terms of my general rule of thumb, I'll share that with you here in a couple of minutes, but let me read his question and give you some comments before I get to that. So Clint says, hi, Marco. I've been listening to the podcast for a few months now. Thank you for all the great info and you're welcome. My wife and I own a single family rental home in Kansas City and our starting plans to acquire three to five more properties in Kansas City within the next year and plan to continue expanding our portfolio further after that. I've read and heard a lot of various ideas on how much should be kept in reserves to weather unexpected hard times or vacancies. And I'm curious to know what your take or philosophy is on that. And how do you scale that reserve as you acquire more properties? For example, if I decided to hold six months of reserve on our current single family residential property, it seems like it would be a significant chunk of idle cash if I carried that same logic to five to 10 plus properties. And that's a very good point. And that's where you have to essentially determine how much to keep and how much to scale back. He goes on to say, for context on our situation, I'm looking into using a HELOC or cash out refi on our principal residence here in Las Vegas to fund these next investments. Since we have equity built up in the home and are currently limited on available cash, I want to make sure I don't overextend and put us into a significant bind. Thank you again for the podcast, the advice, and the time. Sincerely, Clint. You're very welcome. So first of all, I love Kansas City, Missouri. I've got five properties there myself, and it has been a very strong market for the last five plus years. I think it's a great place going forward too. And We don't always have inventory there, but most of the time we have inventory in Kansas City. So if that's a market that anybody's interested in, just check in with your investment counselor here and we can tell you what is available and what's coming up. Back to your question about how much should I keep in reserve for my rental properties. So this is a darn good question because you definitely want reserves. The question is, is how much and how much is too much? And at what point do I scale that back? So let me begin by saying that there really is no magic formula that you can use to determine how much you should keep in reserve in your business as a real estate investor. When you rent these properties, the four key factors that you should consider, at least at a high level, are the strength of the local rental market, the eviction timeline and cost, which is often state specific, the age of the property and any deferred maintenance items that you're carrying with that property, and the type of neighborhood which determines the general demographics of the tenants that you serve and therefore what to expect on average over the long term from behavior in that tenant base. So the strength of the local market, generally speaking, the lower the vacancy rates in a particular area, the fewer in reserve you'll need for future vacancies. And you can find this information online or through the city's housing department. They typically carry statistics on vacancy rates, and certainly property management companies will know that from the various areas within a market. But you should, at a minimum, have enough 
cash reserves to pay for at least minimum one month's worth of vacancy. And that's normally budgeted in to most pro formas. You know, by default, we use 5%, and you can adjust that up or down on our website. I always like to use 5% as just the starting point and then bump it up if I feel the need to. 8% would represent one month, one vacant month per year. I like to make the assumption, and you can certainly do the math and figure these averages out. If you have more than one property, you can just look at how they're performing over time and do a calculation as to how many months of vacancy you have over time. So if you have tenants that stay on average three years, well, then your average vacancy rate is probably closer to 3%. So 8% would certainly be a conservative number and on the high side. I like to assume that one month of vacancy for every two years, that's just kind of my rule of thumb. So that would mean 4%. I use 5% as my starting point, and that's what we use on our website when you look at the pro formas and the calculators for each property. It's just by default 5%. So even in a good market, you'll deal with problem tenants who may stop paying rent. Now, this doesn't happen very often, but you know sometimes a good tenant just flakes out, something happens, a life situation. It could be something serious. And often these are personal situations, but you know, good tenant screening certainly helps. And this is not necessarily your responsibilities, your property managers, but a rigorous background check on the tenants, you know, including reviews of credit reports, employment verification, references two and a half to three times their income over whatever your monthly rent is. And, you know, checking with current and previous landlords, all that stuff is what your property managers will be doing. But proper screening leads to better quality tenants, which lends to having greater tenants that stay longer periods of time. The eviction timeline and cost is very much state specific in pro tenant states like, you know, New York, California, Massachusetts, in some cases, it it can take longer periods of time, sometimes months. And the accumulated fees of forcing someone out might be a thousand or two thousand dollars. Now, again, this is not to scare you. It just happens, but it doesn't happen very often. But you have to understand you have carrying costs, right? You have a monthly mortgage payment, your principal interest, tax insurance. That is a monthly expense. That could be five hundred, eight hundred, a thousand dollars a month. So you want to make sure you're budgeting for that if and when it happens. So the age of the property, clearly with new construction, which we have a lot of right now, especially throughout the state of Florida and sometimes in other states. But with newer and like new properties and recently renovated properties, stuff that we generally call turnkey properties, at least at the time when you're purchasing them, you know, you won't need to anticipate many, if any, repairs during the first few years. The only variable there is just having the unfortunate situation of having a bad tenant. But as I noted earlier, you know, we recommend that you always hire professional property managers and do professional inspections when you're doing your due diligence before you actually purchase the property. So just having a professional property inspector go through with a fine tooth comb will help to ensure that you have no surprises later on. But there always will be things that come up as time goes on. And so you want to budget for those things. So the types of neighborhood, if you're renting properties in low income neighborhoods, often what we just generally classify as C class neighborhoods and certainly D class neighborhoods. But you know, when you're in the C class neighborhoods, plus or minus, you can expect turnover rates to be higher, sometimes much higher than high income areas. So it's just socioeconomic ladder. As you get into better areas and better neighborhoods, you have 
more professionals, higher income earners, people that really are focused on protecting and building their credit and having a good reputation and not being evicted and having all kinds of life problems. And, you know, even in multi-unit buildings, if you've got plexes of some kind, the smaller the units, especially the one-bedroom condos and one-bedroom units, tend to lend themselves more to single-person tenants who tend to move more often, so they're certainly more transient. So just keep in mind, you know, where your property is located when you're trying to budget these reserves. Are they in A-class, B-class, C-class neighborhoods? You'll probably have to budget higher if you have a lot of C-class neighborhood properties. Less so if you're in A-class, higher, more premium type of neighborhoods. So with all that said, here's my general rule of thumb. My general rule of thumb is to have two to three months worth of gross rent per per unit. So if if you've got $1,000 per month in rent, generally speaking, you'll want two to $3,000 of reserves for that property, that unit. If you wanna be very conservative, especially in the beginning, maybe budget four months worth, so $4,000 based on a $1,000 per month rental. Now, that's up to you what your comfort level is, and then the four items I just talked about here in terms of the age of the property and the type of neighborhood. I think in the beginning, it's a good idea to budget on the higher side, go with four months worth of gross rent for your first property and probably your second and third. But then we get into your second question here about how do you scale that so you don't have large chunks of idle cash sitting around when you have a portfolio of five or 10 or more properties? Well, that's really the smart question here because you don't want to carry a large chunk of idle cash sitting around because that is not only depreciating but it's investable cash and it's money that you want to invest. So how do you scale that back? Well there's no magic formula here and and I can't say I actually have a rule of thumb for it but I'll make one up. Actually here's how I would kind of process that. I'm just making some assumptions here. Let's just hypothetically say that you have built a portfolio of 10 properties and they're all within one company, one LLC. Now you wouldn't do that in reality, but let's just say you did for simplicity. What I would do is scale it back as you grow. So the first one, two or three properties, maybe shoot for four months worth of gross rent, but three would be my minimum in the beginning. And then as you build your portfolio beyond three, when you get to four or five and more, continue to scale that back to the point where you're maybe averaging two months worth of gross rent per unit across your portfolio. You can make it less if you just want to have that feeling of comfort and safety, make it more. Now here's why you would scale it back. The main reason is you don't want, as you said, significant chunks of idle cash sitting around because if you've got $50,000 of cash sitting around because you've got 25 rental properties at $1,000 a month and you've got $25,000 sitting around or $50,000 sitting around, well, a lot of that could be investable it's enough to pick up at least one more property, if not two. But the other thing too is, and this is kind of how I've explained it in the past, the likelihood of you having to replace a water heater or have multiple vacancies across your portfolio at the same time, meaning the same month, is not very likely. The vacancies are going to happen over time, but they'll be peppered based upon lease expiration dates or situations with your tenants. So they'll happen sporadically and randomly at different times throughout the year and not necessarily in the same year, but leases also expire at different times throughout the year. So vacancies don't happen 
all at the same time in the same month. Number two, you don't have repairs come up at the same time or in the same month each and every year. Again, those are spread out and sporadic and somewhat random. So knowing that you're going to have these ebbs and flows, you can scale it back. You don't have to have three or four months worth of rent for every single property. You scale that back and have three quarters, half of that, maybe a quarter. Um, That's being aggressive. But then what you do is if a maintenance repair item comes up, you pay for it from your operating capital, those reserves. And once that property is stabilized again, you continue to build up those cash reserves, not just from that one property, but I guess collectively from your portfolio, because somehow, some way they're all flowing up into the LLC that holds all these properties, or maybe the holding company that is above the holding LLCs, but they're there in your operations somewhere. So you replenish what you spend to cover the vacancy or to cover the repair from the overall cash flows from your property. Assuming you have it structured that way, most people are going to have it structured that way or something very similar too. But the point here is you just replenish what you've spent from the reserves from the next months or future cash flows from these properties until you've rebuilt that reserve back up to the watermark that you want to hold and carry for those properties. So that's a lot that I've kind of thrown out at you, but I think it was clear and I'm assuming that it made sense. So anyway, Clint, I hope that helps you. And for all the listeners listening to this, I hope that was uh, understandable. So again, there's no magic number here, but these rules of thumb, I think, hold quite well and serve most investors as well. So there you go. All right. Well, thank you for the question for everyone else. Submit your question anytime you like. I am trying to get through these. I honestly am. But just go to PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. By the way, we're going to be rebuilding that website. It'll be fresh and new coming up in the next month or so. Uh, So just keep an eye out for that. Just go to AskMarco.com and submit your question. If you haven't subscribed and you're listening to this and you like the content, remember to subscribe. And please share this podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, other like-minded people, anyone you know who has an interest in investing, financial freedom, creating wealth, or just real estate in general. Visit us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. I read them and I love them. So thank you for those and thank you in advance for those who are going to post. And that's it for today. So thank you for listening. I will see you on our next episode. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.